Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. So this is going to be a Color Me Dead extra episode brought to you as an update on 33. Now, for those of you who have listened religiously, this is going to be especially dear to you because you know the story of Jody Myers, who was sadly dubbed the Corpse Bride. If you're unfamiliar with the story, feel free to go back and listen. As a quick recap for new listeners, Jody Myers was, <clears throat> excuse me, Jody Myers was murdered November 23rd, 1994, by her estranged boyfriend slash fiance, who put her body in the back of her car and drove around for two days, making obscene phone calls to her family, stating that he was going to take her to California and marry her. He also threatened to sever her ring finger and send it to her poor shattered mother. When apprehended, he was un- when apprehended, he had actually unburdened his sins to a barmaid at the last stop bar. When police arrived, Jody's body was found in the back of the car and a wedding dress was located in the trunk. Her perpetrator had worked a shift at a convenience store called Wawa, and her lifeless body was still in the car. He robbed the store of $700 to fund his trip to California. We were fortunate and lucky enough to have a few of the family members reach out to us to talk to us about Jody and answer some of our unanswered questions. We noted several times in episode 33 about how much we wish to speak with the family, and for that we'd like to thank Jody's little brother and sister Byron and Lila for taking the time to speak with us. Byron and Lila were just teens when their sister left them all too soon, but they can still recall the horrifying details that surrounded the death of their sister, sister Jody. And so shall we begin? We shall. One of the questions that we asked was, how well did you know Forrest Fuller? They knew of him. Their great uncle had actually married his mother, but Forrest came from a previous relationship. They knew him by an odd nickname of Tootie. They and we have no idea where this nickname actually came from. I can only imagine. It's such a strange name for a man. It really is. And you can't, like, I've been trying to think of where it might come from. I don't know. The only thing I can think of takes me to, like, drug use. Yeah, which... Uh, And I mean... At that point, was I don't. He was quite a bit older than those two. He yeah. was quite a bit older than Jody. He was eight years older than Jody. Byron and Lila were only thirteen and fifteen when this all went down. Mm-hmm. Um, I had asked their first impressions of Forrest Fuller. Jody, <clears throat> excuse me. Lila advised that they were poor. They believed that he was too old for Jody, as she was twenty and he was twenty-eight. He was a known abuser, but Jody believed that she could change him. Forrest had been previously married, and there were abuse allegations from his former partner. His sister said, her sister said that she chalks this up to Jody being young and naive. Jody was the type of sweetheart that believed everybody had the best of intentions. The family, on the other hand, felt otherwise as they had reservations about his motives for dating Jody. Lila stated that Jody worked excessive hours at a salon where she was a stylist, as well as at a florist shop and a bridal store. While Jody worked, Forrest helped himself to her brand new Camaro and basically cruised around while she hustled and she essentially was financing this asshole while he was not working. And that was a question that we had during the episode was where did this Camaro come from? Did she buy it? Did you right. know and it was what? hers. And it was hers that she bought by herself. Mm-hmm. And the next question was, did Forrest try to keep her isolated? The family said very much. He was known to actually intentionally start fights between the family members to keep the turmoil rolling to keep Jody from going to the family, which we all know what that is a sign of. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question was, how long were they together? 
Now, back in episode 33, we didn't really know if they were dating, how long they had been together, what was really going on there. It was just kind of speculation on our part. Right. We didn't know if he was a stalker or, yeah, like, you know, why was she at his house the night that she was murdered? So this answers all of yeah, that. answers all of those questions. Um, the answer was Jody began dating her murderer in May of 1994, sh- shortly, shortly. Shortly after purchasing her new car, they were together for a brief time, roughly five to six months until the night she was taken on November 23rd, 1994. Jody had decided that the relationship was not for her as Forrest was basically taking advantage of her hard work, her hard work ethic and living off of her. Additionally, there were signs of abuse as well. Jody did not disclose the abuse to her family because she didn't want them to worry. Jody did, however, confide to in confide to her close friends. And it was said by her siblings that Forrest would take her purse and keys and keep her from leaving the house. He bit her fingers, and at one point, Jody was seen with a black eye, which she claimed she fell, but her family says that they knew better. Jody was also constantly harassed by jerk-off, feathery, most foul. He would call her incessantly while she was at work or walk to her work to watch her. Her sisters also mentioned that Jody had moved in with Forrest for a brief time and that she was in the process of moving back home when as she was breaking off the relationship. Unfortunately, Fuller wasn't having any of that, and this would be the tragic night that Jody lost her life in the hands of a sociopath. So that's a, that was a big question we had. Like, why right. did she go back? Why was she there? Because we didn't know that they lived together. Mm-mm. We didn't know, like, like we said, we didn't really know anything about their relationship. We just knew that she went to the house for what to get purpose? something. Yeah, I think that was what we knew, is that she was going there to get something. Why? What does he have there? Because I know we made the jokes about, give me back my CDs. Yeah. Well, it's just one of those things that, you know, when we were doing our research, there's limited information about Jody. It spoke zero of their relationship whatsoever. Yeah. It literally just talked about his robbery at Wawa, the convenience store, and than the actual crime itself and where he was apprehended. So we had a lot of questions in regards to, you know, were they actually dating? Was he stalking her? Why was she at the house? And so that definitely closed. A lot because that was such a big thing at that point. I was like, okay, I get that she went to his house, but why? Why? Because she was getting the rest of her shit because she was moving out. Yeah, she was like, this is is bunk. You suck. Mm -hmm. I'm going home. And she was attempting to get all of her belongings back to her mother and father's place. And he wasn't having it. No, he was he was not thrilled with this idea. Uh, The next question we asked, did Fuller actually call your mother following Jody's murder? And did your mother notify the police? Answer. Yes, he called and left messages. He called one time and their mother answered. Fortunately, there was a state trooper on patrol and they were able to flag him down and he took the call attempting to trace it. Police had already been involved in the situation due to the fact that Fuller had robbed the convenience store and that this was a job that he had acquired shortly before the incident because prior to that, he He wasn't fucking working. No, he was living off of her. He was living... A 28-year-old grown man... Living off of a 20-year-old, hard-working young woman. And at 20, as a young 20-year-old, it's a little harder to make money than it is as a 28-year-old grown man, just saying. It, seriously, she was working three jobs. Like, she, she was obviously a driven individual. Yes, very much so. Um, question. Fuller had threatened to remove Jody's finger and send it to your mother. Did he? 
Answer, no, it was just a threat. Our mother was in shock and disbelief, and she knew that something was wrong when she couldn't get a hold of Jody for a full day. We found out Thanksgiving Day, when Jody never arrived for family dinner, they knew something bad had happened. Mm -hmm. Her brother Byron noted that he thought it was pretty ironic that his last stop was at the last stop bar with Jody's body in the back, back of the car. When asked, why do you think that he made that stop and confessed to the barmaid, Lila stated that she said... She felt as though it was an attempt to appear crazy, so maybe he could cop an insanity plea. Uh, you are crazy, sir. Um, his sister, Lila, said that she never imagined that her sister's life would end that way, as she was full of promise and had a very bright future ahead of her. She said it's even harder to imagine that she's been gone for 24 years, and in just six short years, this asshat... This disgusting piece of shit... That... Like, took her from her family, robbed, robbed her from her family, is getting out. Yep. we. T I know we went on about that when we did the original episode, but it's not any easier to take now. In six years, that's not very far away because he had a plea deal to where he'd only do 30 years. What He did 30 years without possibility of parole, but... Mm -hmm. Then after 30 years, he just gets out. Yeah. So Lila said that it's still very hard to talk about. It's still very raw. And as you can imagine, it's even harder when they don't have Jody and his release date is inching closer and closer, which he will be released 11-23-2024. He will be 58 and it will be exactly 30 years from the day he murdered Jody. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lila told us that Fuller has attempted contact with the family on several occasions, phone calls and letters. He sent a letter apologizing, mega finger quotes there, to the family, telling them that he would take it all back if he could. She said that this feels like it was salt to the wound and a reminder that he's still alive and they're living without Jody. He also attempted to acquire book and movie deals in regards to the crime. What a fucking sicko. Yeah. I hope he knows. And I think it's like this in every state, but I'm not exactly sure. You can't make money off of a book deal that you do from your own crime. You can't make money off of your own crime. No, I think that that's what he was like. If you guys do it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we should have specified that with them, but it just feels dirty. Yeah, and either way, whatever he was trying to get out there, he wasn't going to get any money off of it. There's maybe <clears throat> publicity for being a total bitch. I think it's completely just gut-wrenching that while he's incarcerated, he's sitting there and he's thinking about all the ways he can capitalize off what he did. He did. Yeah. Fuck you. Are you kidding me? That's what I have to say to you, fuck Mr. Mullet Man. You. Go fuck yourself because you're a piece of shit. No kidding. We also discussed um, his, disturb his disturbing pen pal profile. Now, for those of you that are new listeners and you're grasping at this, you really got to go back and listen to episode 33. And th we did that in December of 2017. So the beginning of that episode is going to be about Forrest Fuller and Jody Myers. And then it's got like a Krampus piece at the end because it was Christmas time. So go back and listen to that and then you'll understand what we're talking about. He was looking for people to communicate with while incarcerated. We ourselves have actually viewed this eerie fucking profile. And Lila said that she was most disturbed by the comment, quote, finger quotes. I like working with my hands. 
And we'd have to agree, that's pretty goddamn creepy. Well, and it wasn't just a pen pal site. It was a dating site. It was a prison. It's called. It was prison pal, I think it was what it yeah. was. It was a fucking prison dating site. So he's trying to date people after he just killed his girlfriend? Uh-huh. What the fuck is wrong with you, sir? Uh, Get your mullet in check and go back to your fucking cell. <laughs> Nobody wants to date you. For real. <laughs> and it's pretty... As pretty and like gifted and smart as Jody was, right? I'm not a hundred percent sure what she saw in him. We all make dumbass mistakes. No, though. I'm I, I agree, but I would like to know what exactly what? she saw in him that was so enticing. Well, clearly he's got some charm. If he got maybe her. he's got that like gift of gab. It, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like maybe he made her think that he was a certain way and he charmed her. He yeah. had to do something because you know he wasn't a complete puke if she was gonna right. date him. I don't know. From the neck up, he's something uh, else. That was the nineties though. That was a sweet ass fucking mullet. I suppose. I don't know. I just feel like there's that's one question that I don't think is ever going to be answered because the no. only person that knows the answer is no longer with us. Um, at one point in time, this perverse piece of shit asshole actually tried to take his plea deal back and return to trial, which obviously did not happen. No. Siblings, Lila and Byron, had also advised that Fuller gave interviews to the local paper, one being the Courier Post of South Jersey, saying that Jody visits him every night and that she has forgiven him. No, I hope... Nope. Nope. No, I'm not okay with any of that. I'm not okay with him saying that. I'm not okay with him making it seem like she would go visit him. Why would she? You're a piece of fucking shit. I don't know. It, one of the things that, that her siblings did mention is, like, what a forgiving person she was and, like, how generous, generous she was. But I just don't see forgiveness in a situation like this. No. And maybe, and maybe she would have. Maybe she would have. But I just, the fact that he gave interviews, because that's a total publicity stunt. Yeah, and the fact that he thinks that he deserves her forgiveness. Go fuck you don't. yourself. Because you don't. Yeah. You do not deserve <clears throat> any kind of forgiveness from anybody. Well, you know what? And, it, and, and if that's the way you felt, if you thought that her spiritual being was visiting you and forgiving you or whatever, what point like what what did you have to gain by saying that in interviews yeah except for it to be a total asshole no you're you're looking for attention you're looking uh -huh. for publicity you're looking for people to still pay attention to you are you are you that sad poor little boy yeah obviously pathetic yeah obviously to which we actually asked how their mother was doing because that was one of my big things yeah and they said she was okay, but not a day goes by that she doesn't actually talk about Jody, which is completely heartbreaking. And I, I could see that. Yeah. 24 years later, you don't just you don't forget, forget about your baby. No. Her siblings wanted to make sure that we remember Jody as they did, which is the main focus of this mini-sode, because the other episode was more... Focused on the crime and forest. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure, and we mentioned that in the episode before, that we wish that we knew more about her so that we could remember her better in the right way, but we didn't know anything. Lila is also a big advocate for domestic violence, and she wanted this to serve as a warning as well as a way to give strength to those experiencing abuse and violence by an intimate partner in the hopes that it will help people leave a situation before it's too late. 
Lila stated that, quote, if we help just one, if we help just one person, just one, then we will have made a difference. And you all know that we're big on that here. Yeah. A lot of the things that we do in a lot of the cases that we've covered are in regards to domestic violence, like when we covered Tracy Thurman. That's that was a pivotal moment for domestic violence because that's when they put into effect Tracy's law. Yeah. And where it made it to where officers could intervene in domestic situations because prior to that they couldn't because they didn't have the authority when it came to domestic violence mm-hmm. because they didn't have anything for that. So that is definitely something, you know, the meet and greets, the auctions, All you know, we've made donations teams. to victim vic, victims advocacy. So it's it's really awesome that they they both came forward and and reached out to us because well, like like she said, even just one, if we help even just one person. Yeah, that's the kind of situations that we talk about in Survivor Series, our survivor stories that we tell. We want everybody to know to get out before it's too late. Right. Yeah. And to know where to go and where to get help and be strong. I think the the one of the main things is if you're in a situation where you need help, wait until you're in public. Yes. And ask somebody for help. And once once you are in public, don't leave. Mm-mm. Don't go back anywhere alone. Always use the buddy system. Have the police come do a civil standby. Don't ever go. Like, if they call you and they're so sorry and just come meet with me and talk to me for a few minutes. No. No, no, no. You can meet me in the middle of a restaurant. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm not coming over there. No. No. Don't go back to get your stuff. No. None of your stuff is worth your life. Yeah. And unfortunately, Jody Myers was only a tender 20 when she was murdered. And that's that's pretty gutting, dude, because she was she was described as a very energetic, just bursting with personality, enthusiastic, goal-oriented girl. Jody had dreams of one day owning her own salon and she was a very active stylist in another salon. She was very active in high school. She was bright, young. She was a very bright young woman. She served as class president as well as the high school's valedictorian. Her brother and sister described her as the life of the party whose smile just lit every room that she was in. Which, if you see her photos, she really does just have the biggest, most contagious mm-hmm. smile. She was a very, very cute girl. Yeah. They also said that she was fun-loving, generous, she enjoyed helping people, and her brother brother Byron recalled how much she loved animals, and she once attempted to save the life of an unborn fawn after the doe had been hit by a car. Who does that remind you of? You. Yeah. (laughs) I'm that person. I can still save it. I'm not done trying. (laughs) Uh, Jody was the girl that everybody loved, and like I said, she had that big contagious smile, just bright and bubbly. They wanted to make sure that the victims of these infamous crimes don't get forgotten and shoved into the background, and we couldn't agree more. They wanted Jody to be remembered as the kind, sweet soul that she was and not just a victim. Mm. I know. Again, thank you to Byron and Lila for reaching out and allowing us to honor and do a follow-up on Jody. We sincerely wish nothing but peace and the best of wishes to you both and your family. Lots, Lots of, of love, love from, from the, the gory, gory gals, gals. Of Color Me Dead. Yes. So, for those of you who, like I said, we've got a lot of new listeners every day. You guys pop in on this mini-sode. You just remember episode thir- thir- 
Sorry, I passed it to off. you. <laughs> I didn't mean to. <clears throat> I don't know where I got it. I don't know where. I don't know what's happening yeah. right now. Uh, just remember, it's episode thirty-three. It's called uh, "The Mullet Man, Feathery Most Foul," and you'll also get a little piece of Krampus on mm. there. But that will help you, or if you want to Google it, um, either way. Uh, it'll give you a, a little bit of hindsight to where we were and the questions that we wanted answered. And, uh, and we just sorry. we and just really hope that the family finds some sort of, are you okay? I'm failing so miserably right now. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <sighs> we just really hope that the family finds some peace in the, ne- the upcoming years because they're going to have a lot of emotions when the gates open and that horrifying piece of crud leaves the prison. Yeah. And if anybody has any more questions after episode 33 and after this, let us know and we can reach out to the family and hopefully get anything else answered. They did say that if we had additional questions that they would be more than willing to talk to us. I think that we need to be very tactful and we need to be, we need to be very sensitive on, I know that everybody has questions and and I get it because we're all inquisitive. We're all true crime fans. But, you know, if you've got a question, make sure that you pose it in a way that's respectful, not only to Jody, but to the family as well. Yeah, you can email them to us. At colormedeadpodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Or you can direct message us, but keep them that way so that we can get them to them. Yeah, that way we have a, a catalog of things. So if you have questions, feel free to ask. Just remember that we want them done in the most sincere and respectful way. Because mm-hmm. I know, I know, like, there's there's lots of things that I would like to ask different people about different stuff. Um, when I, I met with the mother of a murder victim, local, and I had so many questions that I thought were inappropriate and so I tiptoed over that line in the sand just to see, like, if she would answer it. Yeah. And when I posed the question, I was like, I don't need to be rude or intrusive, but, and I asked my question. She's like, no, it's okay. People want to know. And she's like, and, and people need to know. And she answered the question. So I was like, Mary. Yeah, that's how I was with that. But the one, I had one question. I yeah. wanted to answer it, but I didn't want to seem like I was heartless or anything. Right. I well, but that's... I think they understand. This is what we do, like, for a living. We talk about murder and serial killers, and we dig deep, and we get, we we answer all those gory questions that people have, you know? And I know it's difficult, especially being a family member, you know, to talk about those kind of things. Well, and this is our first time having an actual victim's family reach out to us and give us that side, because that's a lot of the stuff that we want to know, too. That's a lot that goes with it. Because essentially the murders that we're talking about isn't like how cool the murderer is. It's horrifying because they took somebody from their family. Right. But people still want to know. It's, it is what it is. Yep. So once again, episode 33, go check it out. If you have additional questions, colormedeadpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, just remember, if you guys are in a situation where you need help, don't be afraid to ask. Use the buddy system. And stay, stay safe. Out. And stay, stay out, out of chalk, chalk lines. lines. Goodbye. Goodbye.